Well, this morning we have, to some of you, a guest preacher. Uh, to those of you who have been with this church for a while, uh, he's not a guest preacher. Uh, today we have Pastor Chuck Hartness coming uh, to bring a message. Pastor Chuck was uh, the minister to senior adults and other roles uh, for about 20 years uh, here at this church, retiring in early 2020. And uh, he planned to retire in early 2020 and ended up retiring in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, but uh, he's currently serving uh, Anchor Church, helping them get started. And so we've missed him. Uh, but I know that we uh, are in for a treat in having him come and bring the word today. So if you would join me in just giving a warm welcome to Pastor Chuck. <clears throat> You got to kind of maneuver around obstacles to get up here today, Chuck. But we love you and we're thankful for you. God bless you. You're a great friend. Thank you. Well, good morning. The last time I was uh, spoke at a service was the week before we went to lockdown and uh, began to uh, stream our services exclusively uh, back in the spring of 20. But uh, usually, I'm behind this pulpit uh, for a funeral around here. So it's good to not be at a funeral this morning. It's good to see you. And uh, if I don't know you, I would love to get to know you. Uh, he mentioned uh, Anchor Church. Uh, I do bring greetings from Anchor Church in Freeport. Uh, we are uh, meeting at the Freeport Middle School. Uh, our pastor, Sean Walker, you may know, he grew up in this church, and um, uh, he is doing a wonderful job uh, at preaching and teaching. Um, it's humble beginnings. Uh, we go through the setting up of chairs and audio and screens uh, uh, every week, and then we tear them down uh, at the end of the service. Uh, that gets tiresome, but it's exciting at the same time. Uh, we have uh, had three people to be baptized uh, since our formal uh, opening back in August 15th. And uh, we had a similar outreach event that you had uh, with your fall festival. We had trunk or treat and fall festival at the parking lot of uh, Skipper's Furniture there in Freeport. And we were able to have initial contact with 150 new people uh, that night. And so we're in the process of following up those new relationships. Uh, we have about four life groups that are going uh, with uh, families and uh, three different groups with uh, smaller groups of men or women that gather together for fellowship and encouragement and uh, study of the scripture and uh, just helping one another to grow and sharpening one another. So we have about 35 to 40 people involved in uh, small groups. And uh, we have about that or more uh, on a regular basis in attendance. Sometimes we'll have about 70 or 80 people uh, in attendance. But um, we do appreciate your giving more than anything, we appreciate you praying for us. We need you to pray that we will be faithful to, uh, uh, to serve in Freeport. Uh, my wife and I live in Valparaiso, so we drive out there every Sunday. And every other week, we, Sue and I help lead the uh, worship uh, music there. Uh, and then in the in-between weeks, there's a young couple, uh, Matt and Melody Patton, 
who, uh, who lead the music. And so uh, it's just some exciting times. We were involved in church planting uh, in western New York uh, many years ago and uh, have a love and a heart for that. So we were glad to have the opportunity to help them uh, in Freeport. But thank you for your, uh, for your great support. Uh, this morning we're going to be looking in, in Scripture at Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. Uh, James recruited me back in the spring. This is how far ahead he plans. Uh, I'm impressed. And um, although didn't quite know what Scripture I would be using as we got closer we figured out uh, the passage for me to prepare but as we go through uh, this we're in a series of uh, sermons uh, as you know uh, entitled he is greater than tradition and so let's look at this uh, passage of scripture uh, perhaps familiar to some of you uh, one of the many times that Jesus uh, performed a healing in verse 22 of Mark chapter 8, it says, And they came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and entreated him to touch him. And taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village, and after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands upon him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men... For I'm seeing them like trees walking around. Then again he laid his hands upon his eyes, and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, Do not even enter the village. The precious word of the Lord. We have here in this passage uh, uh, a repeat of uh, their similarities in this healing to other healings that we see in the, in the Gospel of Mark or the other Gospels. Uh, this is the first time in the Gospel of Mark where a blind man is healed. Uh, Jesus will heal other blind people later on in the Gospel of Mark. Over in John chapter 9 is a, uh, a, a time when he heals a blind man. And he uh, approaches his healing in uh, similar ways. But there's something at the beginning of this passage that I want to begin with. I'm hoping that we'll have about four takeaways from this passage of Scripture. You can see the first takeaway is the intercession for others is core for a Jesus follower. Let's look at that for just a moment. It says, and in verse 22, they brought a blind man to him and entreated him to touch him. <clears throat> Who was they? Who were these people that brought this man to Jesus? We can assume that it's people that cared for him that knew about Jesus and his ability and power from God to heal and loved this man enough to want to get him and Jesus together. That basically is the foundation for what we call intercession. Uh, to intercede for somebody means to plead on someone's behalf, uh, to act as a mediator, 
or to come between. Usually, it would be uh, someone who would pray for someone else as we intercede for one another. But it can be the physical act of helping them to see Jesus maybe in our lives or to come to talk about Jesus or come to meet Jesus. In this instance, they wanted, them, they wanted this man to meet Jesus because they knew that Jesus could make a difference in his life. We see this. Uh, in the chapter before this, chapter 7, verse 32, uh, they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. In chapter 2, where uh, Jesus is preaching in a house, and the, the room is full, and there's a, a paralytic who is brought by four men on a stretcher and they can't get in to see Jesus and they disassemble the roof of the house and lower this man in. They were indeed uh, wanting this man to see Jesus and they went to great lengths to do it. They cared about this man. They were interceding for this man. And Jesus looked at them and it said he saw their faith. Jesus himself at this very moment, is engaged in the, the ministry of intercession for you and for me. Uh, in Romans 8, 34, uh, Paul says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus is praying to the Father, for you and for me at this moment. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Oh, I'm so glad that Jesus prays for me. He told Peter one time, he says, Peter, I'm praying for you. And when you turn I want you to strengthen your brothers. Uh, who are those people in your life who uh, have brought you to Jesus and interceded for you? We all have those people. For me, my mom and my dad were very, very key in doing that. My wife, Sue, uh, intercedes for me. Some guys that I grew up with, uh, late high school, early college, were very vital in me coming to Christ. Uh, David Griffith, Kenny Beard, Jim Matthews, Jan Dean, Guy Priester, Jake Reed. Uh, th but there are many people, even in this room, who have been a part of helping me uh, follow Christ. Uh, I see Art Wilson sitting down here. I usually mention him at least one time in my service uh, when I preach. And, and Art, this time it's positive. <laughs> a, miracle. a miracle. I love Art Wilson. Who are those people in your life? What names, what faces come to your mind? of those who help lead you to Jesus. I'd like for us to stop for just a moment and thank God for them. Could we do that? Pray with me. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who is right now interceding for us at your right hand. And that coming to you and reminding you, Father, they belong to me. And is praying for us to be strengthened and to stay the course. 
Father, thank you for those individuals that cared enough about me and cared enough about these in this room that they spoke to them about you, that they prayed for us regularly, <coughs> that they lived the Christian life in front of us so that we could see what it meant to follow Jesus. Thank you for these people, whoever they are. Many shall go unnamed. But Father, we pray that you would help us to be continually grateful for them. And if we have an opportunity, Lord, in the near future to communicate with them our gratitude. Thank you for your intercession in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. One last question, though, in this first takeaway. Who are you interceding for? Who is it in your life that God has crossed your path that you need to be saying, Lord, what are you doing in their life and how can I be involved? We need to pray for one another. We need to encourage one another. We need to sharpen one another. And so I encourage you, Lord, who can I intercede for? Well, there's another thing I want to take away from this is uh, uh, just briefly uh, notice how Jesus ministered to this blind man uh, in ways that would communicate to him. He took him by the hand and led him. Uh, he spit in his eyes. Now, that's a little disconcerting. Uh, I don't know if I would want that to happen to me. But you know, for a blind man, there might have been comfort in that now, in, the, in Jesus' day, as well as this day, if you spit in somebody's face, it was usually uh, an act of um, uh, disgust or disregard. It was very, very negative, hostile action. They spit in Jesus' face as he was arrested, as he was being led to be crucified. But here, Jesus, as a healer, uses his saliva, and we know that saliva has uh, enzymes in it that have healing properties. Poor people in the olden days would let dogs lick their sores, and that was beneficial to them. Um, if you've ever got a paper cut or nicked your finger or something, what's the first thing you might do? <laughs> Stick it in your mouth. It's helpful. Can you imagine the sinless Son of God has some pretty powerful spit? <laughs> I, I know that um, it's really gross to me. My mother used to wet a napkin or her finger and she start wiping off the smudges off my face. Mother, please. <laughs> but this was an act of compassion, an act of power. And just as the powerful word comes from Jesus' mouth, so uh, this saliva. But he touched this man, a blind person, was considered cursed by God, uh, almost like a leper. And yet Jesus was willing to touch and to go the distance to make this man well. The second takeaway that I have of this is this. There's not a one-size-fits-all way of showing God's love. We say that uh, Jesus... Uh, used touch several times when he'd heal people. He used his saliva in two other occasions, one in Mark, one in John chapter 9. Um, sometimes he would just speak a word 
and the person would be healed or the loved one of the person in another city would be healed. And oftentimes it was immediate. Uh, it was immediate. Our sermon series here is called He is Greater Than Tradition. Jesus used these different approaches with different people to love them. Um, we have traditional ways of showing love to people. Uh, and many of the ways we show love to people and minister to people are, are time-honored, and they bear fruit. And, uh, and there are many things that we should not change. But we must be careful not to think that we have the corner on the market of how to love people. Uh, sure, we are to share the gospel with people. We are to help clothe and feed the poor. We are to rejoice with those who rejoice. We are to weep with those who weep. We are to show compassion to those who are bereaved. But we need to be creative in how we do that. Uh, Jesus was very creative in the way he healed people. Some people he would heal, and then he would have them perform an action out of obedience, showing their faith. And then the healing would come when they performed that action, like the man whom he made clay in John chapter 9 and anointed his eyes with mud from his spit and the, and the dust. And then he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And, you, and he did that, and he could see. Uh, we do not have a one-size-fits-all way of ministering to people. And so uh, we need to be careful that uh, we don't get stuck in traditions and say, well, this is the only way it can be done. Um, in sharing gospel with someone, there are many different uh, collections of scriptures you can use. There are many different plans to share uh, the gospel of Christ with somebody. The, a tried and true plan is called the Roman Road to Salvation, which selected verses in the, in the gospel of Romans, uh, in the book of Romans that Paul wrote, uh, are used to help tell people about how they can follow Jesus. But that way may not communicate with everybody. There are many other plans. We need to know the gospel so thoroughly that we can customize Scripture filtered through our own personal relationship with Jesus as we share with individuals how to come to Christ. Well, a third takeaway, and one where we'll spend a lot more time, uh, is this. We must be careful not to become satisfied with our current level of spiritual growth. We must be careful not to become satisfied with our current level of spiritual growth. Let me read again these words in Mark chapter 8, verses 23 through 25. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Now, I can identify with this man when he said, I see 
people like trees walking. That, raise your hand if you have trouble with your eyes. You need glasses or contact lenses. I mean, it's a common malady. Um, thank God if you don't have that problem, wait till you're 40. And you, you may begin to have some of those problems. I was, I've been nearsighted since the third grade. I remember the teacher having to sit me closer and closer to the front because it was just very obvious. I couldn't see what she was writing on the board. If I were to be without my contact lenses right now, you would look like trees sitting. <laughs> you would be blurry, out of focus. I would not be able to tell who you are if I knew you because of my poor eyesight. I understand that this man was blind and when Jesus first touched him, his sight was restored to that point. Well, that had to be pretty exciting for him. But he still realized that things were not quite right. Why did Jesus heal this man in two stages? Interestingly enough, this is the only place in Scripture where Jesus healed somebody but took two steps to do it. There's got to be a reason there. Now, it could be that uh, the man's faith might have been a little weaker. And Jesus was working with him to bring him to the point of faith to be healed. Um, in many places, uh, it is, we see accounts of Jesus healing someone. And then he says to them, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you whole. Let's look at an account of that. Turn one page over to Mark chapter 9, verse 17 and following. And one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. And I told your disciples to cast it out. And they could not. And he answered them and said, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling about and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately. The boy's father cried out, and he said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. In that moment, that man, though he, he could see Jesus, he knew that this was somebody that could help him. He had heard the reports. People had said, take him to Jesus. Take him to Jesus. <coughs> and so he did that. But the disciples failed, we learned later, because of their lack of faith. And this man realized that he had a lack of faith. He says, Lord, I believe, but I need your help. Help my unbelief. 
it said, Jesus said, how long shall I put up with you? I am so, so glad Jesus puts up with me. That he meets me where I am and helps to bring me to a greater understanding of who he is. That he takes what faith that I have and he strengthens it and he helps my unbelief. I'm so grateful for that. So, it could be that this blind man whom Jesus took two touches to get well, it might have been because of his faith. It doesn't really say that in that particular passage, but we know that that is consistent with Jesus' words. But I think it'll help us to look at the context, (coughs) pardon me, that this passage is written in what comes before and what comes after to see maybe why Jesus did this. Last week, James preached on uh, this, this chapter in verses 11 through 13, talking about uh, the Pharisees des- uh, demanding a sign from Jesus. And Jesus said, there's no sign going to be given this generation. Uh, and we, we compare this with Matthew's account. And he, Jesus uh, also added, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. A sign that calls for repentance and faith. Um, but beginning in verse 14, they were, they were coming, th- this account happened when they were coming from the feeding of the 4,000. You know, you had the feeding of the 5,000 earlier, and now you have the feeding of the 4,000 where Jesus takes just small amounts of resource and multiplies it to meet the need of thousands in verse 14 of uh, this passage, uh, Mark 8, 14, it says now, uh, it says they, they got in the boat and, and left. It says now they had forgotten to bring bread. And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And the account in Matthew also adds the Sadducees to this group. He says, watch out for the leaven of these these groups. And the disciples begin discussing with one another the fact that they forgot to bring bread. You see, they were focused on lunch. (laughs) They said, that must be what Jesus is talking about. We we dropped the ball. We forgot to bring bread. Verse 17, and Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12 And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Matthew, then in his account, has the disciples. They said, then they realized that he was not talking about the leaven of bread, but he was talking about the teaching of the Pharisees. You see, they were spiritually nearsighted because they thought he was talking uh, about their failure to provide for lunch. And why that happened, 
I don't know, they had 12 baskets full and they had seven baskets full of broken pieces, but maybe they had already consumed that. Why would they have to worry about lunch when Jesus is around? You see, they were spiritually nearsighted. Ever since chapter 4, Mark has shown that Jesus struggled with the disciples' lack of understanding. Uh, they did not understand who he was. They did not understand his teaching. They kept asking questions uh, and acting in ways that showed him that they just didn't get it. In the passage I just read, their concern for their own hunger showed that they were focused on self and not on Jesus. They were blinded to the spiritual truth by their constant preoccupation with their own immediate needs. The man's blindness was an illustration of their own spiritual blindness, their hardness of heart. Just as this man needed another touch, they would need many touches by Jesus before they would really understand who Jesus was and his purpose. You see, we, we've got to be careful not to be satisfied at the level of spiritual maturity that we may or may not have arrived at Jesus wants us to go further. Continuing to look at the context, let's look at the passage after this account. In Mark 8, verse 31 through 33, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. I think Mark put this in here because before now, Jesus had been speaking in parables. He's been speaking in ways that they had to sit there and chew on it. Well, what does he really mean? Well, here, he's talking to his disciples. From this point on in the book of Mark, he's going to emphasize more and more the instruction to his disciples. And he's not doing parables anymore. He's teaching them plainly. And it says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, in Matthew, we read further that uh, Peter took him aside. When Jesus says, I'm going to be killed, Peter took him aside and says, God forbid, Lord, this isn't going to happen to you. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. James mentioned last week that uh, desiring a sign for an evil generation is like is, is spiritual adultery. It's like saying, God, what you've done is not enough. Peter was treading dangerous territory. Right before this happened, Jesus had asked them and said, who do you say I am? In a moment of brilliant insight, Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Wow. How did Peter come up with that? Well, Jesus told him how he came up with that. He said, uh, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven has told you that. Peter had a brilliant moment of spiritual clarity. He could see what was going on. And then just a few moments later, he's rebuking Jesus. And Jesus is saying, 
get behind me, Satan. Man, what? Up and down. We have to know that this man who was blind and who Jesus had to touch twice had to be not only for that man's sake, but for an illustration for his disciples and for us that we cannot be satisfied with where we've gotten to in our relationship with Jesus because he has a lot more in store that he wants to show us. You see, their tradition taught them that the Messiah would come in victory over his enemies. They expected Jesus to wipe out the Roman occupation and establish Israel to her former glory. Peter reveals his motivation when he rebukes Jesus. His spiritual blindness was evident. Like the blind man, Peter was seeing men like trees walking. Spiritual nearsightedness can be costly and dangerous. We are so concerned with our own need and agenda that when God presents us with an opportunity to love somebody else, our spiritual focus is still on us. If I had tried to drive here this morning without my contact lenses, I could have made it to the building okay. I could have made it here, but I could not have read a single road sign between there and here. And if you had been walking down the sidewalk, <laughs> there goes a tree. <laughs> uh, and if you were tried to follow me in that condition, and we were to try to go somewhere I had never been, I would lead you astray. It's dangerous to have spiritual nearsightedness. The healing of this blind man reminds us that when we come to Christ and believe, the Holy Spirit begins a work of transformation in our lives, but we cannot stop at that point of initial salvation and be satisfied. Jesus wants us to see clearly. Look at the progression in verse 25 of this man regaining his sight. This second touch Jesus again laid his hands upon his eyes, and there's three words here that happened to the man. He looked intently. Uh, the Greek word behind that means to see through, to see through, to look hard. He focused. He was focusing. He was looking intently. The second word, he was restored. Listen to the uh, words in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily clings to us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking to Jesus, when we live the Christian life, and it is tough, it is like a race, and we are still troubled by sin, which he says we need to lay that aside. Well, that's what repentance is all about. We lay that aside and we look to Jesus. Just like this man looked intently to Jesus, 
the one who is at the right hand of the throne of God, the one who is interceding, the one who is working to help our faith increase so that we can grow in Christ. And then the result, the third word mentioned there in verse 25, he began to see everything clearly. Uh, that word clearly can also mean far away. His sight was restored. His sight was restored to the point of original creation. He could see as perfectly as God ever intended for a human being physically to be able to see out of his eyes. That man was healed. He was restored and began to see everything clearly. In Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul talks at length about the things in his life that he could brag about if he wanted to. His, uh, uh, his race, his intellectual training, his religion, on and on and on he goes about the things that are check marks of what a good guy he was. But he said that those things are worthless compared with a relationship with Jesus Christ, with knowing Christ, my Lord. In Philippians 3, beginning with verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained this, talking about that perfect salvation. He says, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that what uh, I have made, uh, excuse me. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing that I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on for the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, Paul said, I, I haven't arrived yet. I haven't arrived yet. There's still much more to my relationship with Jesus that needs to be explored, that I need to experience. He wasn't saying that he wasn't saved yet. You know, in the Bible, salvation is, is brought to us in three tenses. Um, you have been saved. There was a time when you uh, bowed the knee to Jesus Christ and said, you are Lord. The Bible says you are being saved. The Holy Spirit is working in your life and in my life to bring us from one level of glory to the next to, so that we will be like Jesus. Paul says that in Corinthians, uh, we all with unveiled face, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So in Philippians 3, Paul says, I haven't arrived yet. In verse 15, he says this, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Paul says, you think you've arrived? Are you mature? Well, if you have a mature faith in Christ, you will realize that you haven't arrived yet. You still need to grow in Christ. That's why we need one another. That's why we need people interceding for us and mentoring us and, and, and living the Christ life with us. And so, Jesus, 
I believed, healed this man in two phases to remind us that we can't be satisfied. If that man was satisfied and said, well, I haven't been able to see anything, at least I can stumble around and get home. I might not be able to recognize you if I see you. Well, that's not good enough. Jesus says, do you see anything? He's interested in us seeing him in all his glory. The last takeaway that I have with this is this. Restoring sight is a mark of the Messiah and showcases the deity of Jesus. Restoring sight is a mark of the Messiah and showcases the deity of Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 29, where Isaiah is preaching about how God will one day restore the salvation of Israel, it says this, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. In Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, it says, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And in Psalm 146 verse 8, it says, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down the Lord loves the righteous. In Matthew chapter 11, uh, we have a, uh, an account where John the Baptist is uh, in prison. That great prophet of God, that man who had enough, uh, had enough spiritual sight to be able to look at Jesus and tell his, other, tell his own disciples, he says, there goes the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John's the one that said, I saw the Holy Spirit descend upon him like a dove. He's the one that baptized Jesus. He's the one that said, he is the bride, and the, he is the bridegroom, and the bride belongs to him. In reference to God's people, he says, I am the friend of the bridegroom, and I stand by the side, and I rejoice in him. He says, he must increase. I must decrease. John had a lot of spiritual insight, and yet in prison, he got depressed. Uh, he, he got uh, to questioning, and it says in chapter 11 of Matthew, verse 2, now when John in prison heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are, are you the one who's to come? Or shall we look for someone else? And Jesus answered and said to them, go and report to John the things which you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. Tradition will cause us to stumble over Jesus if Jesus happens not to follow our tradition. John was distressed. I'm not sure if all that really happened I knew, it was, I knew who he was back then, but 
now in this circumstance, I don't know. Jesus said, well, go tell John what you see happening. The blind receiving their sight. Restoring sight is one of the marks of the Messiah. And it showcases the fact that Jesus is our Emmanuel, God with us. And so, we need to not be <clears throat> satisfied with the level we're at. We need to know that Jesus is God. He has the power of God, and the glory of God, and he wants to touch us, and he wants to heal us, and he wants to restore our sight and cause our relationship with him to grow. <clears throat> Back in the mid-70s, a song that we used to sing uh, uh, in, uh, in church went like this, open our eyes, Lord, we want to see Jesus. To reach out and touch him and say that we love him. Open our ears, Lord, and help us to listen. Open our eyes, Lord, we want to see Jesus. Soften my heart, Lord, Melt me and mold me. Make me a vessel to pour out your spirit, to bring joy and gladness to those who have sorrow. Open my eyes, Lord. I want to see Jesus. That needs to be our prayer this morning. And I would invite you right now just to pray with me. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ the only begotten Son of God. Thank you that he takes away our sins by his death on the cross, <clears throat> and he brings us life. Lord, we have seen in Scripture, and we've seen in our own experience, that sometimes our sight uh, is not as good as it needs to be. As Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, for now, we see through a glass darkly, but one day we'll see face to face. And as John says in his first letter, we will, <clears throat> we will see you, we will see Jesus as he really is. Father, thank you that you want us to see Jesus, that you want us to look like him. Father, I haven't arrived yet. And I need you to help me grow and to, to know more of your love, more of Jesus. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.